right, we're here with Umesh today. How are you doing, my friend? How are you? Very good, very good. Thank you, Suras. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. The pleasure is all mine. So listen, for our listeners, Umesh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about, you know, yourself, how you got into sales and, you know, what an average day for you at the, at the moment looks like. I actually got into sales by child, right? I, I, uh, by training, I'm a mechanical engineer. I'm also a product of 2008 uh, financial world crisis, uh, world financial crisis. You know, I was one of the batches in, uh, you know, in, in colleges in India, managed, we got pleased, but the offers then they were sort of honored. So I joined a plant which was into elevator manufacturing, a very, very old traditional plant business house. And uh, three months at the plant as a graduate engineer, doing as we call it, right? I realized that this is not what I want to do, right? And spoke to the manager, the works manager there, and he uh, also agreed and you know asked me to apply for the sales role within the same organization. And from there, I think my sales journey started. Mm-hmm. Uh, very uh, diverse sort of sales roles I've taken. Right, I started off with selling elevators to the individual customers. Right, from there I moved towards uh, more concentrated sort of selling uh, when I was selling multi-level parking systems, escalators, etc. To large uh, architect, right? And these are typically very long sales, like four years, five years. Yeah. Uh, so, so, quick question about that. What I've heard this term before. You know, people have used it on the podcast for consultative selling. Yeah. So, what exactly does that mean? So, consultative selling is where you align with your customer, right? Understand the need, and you together figure out what is the best way forward, right? Uh, it's not a plain vanilla selling where you say, you know, I have a product, why don't you take it, right? Uh, to give you an ex- example, right, from the same industry, uh, while you're working with, a, you know, let's say if, if a mall is coming up and you're working with not only your customer who is the builder or the developer, right, you're also working with the architects who are running that project. You are part of that project when the project is an ideation stage, Right. You're trying to figure out what dimensions to keep, what sort of machines would be you know, best fitted in that particular space, what sort of requirement they have in terms of number of cars, you know, parking slots to be required, right? So you're part of the journey uh, in terms of solutioning, you know, from the very first stage. And eventually you drive it to a point where you have a product ready and you then offer it to them. Right, I see. And is the product being prepared during the consulting process or is it that you have a set product but you're just trying to essentially qualify the person and say okay you know what the, we've, bro- we've had this conversation we've been on this journey and I think actually now our product is ideal for you so two parts to that one part could be the customization related to the product that you would do right, right. the yeah. other part would be related to the customer department right I mean uh, as an example if an architect is looking at let's say 100 number of parking spots, right? Uh, and you have four products. Maybe two or three of them can offer that. Uh, one cannot, so one that goes out of the window. The two or three products, now you're also looking at what sort of budget the customer has, what sort of footfall the, you know, the property is going to see, and what sort of efficiency are you looking at, right? So you try to balance that out and then offer your product, right? So once this has been taken care of, then depending on the space availability and all those things, you also customize your product. So it's, it's a two-way process. Right. Okay. Got it. Got it. And I had a question about, uh, you know, when you said you came out of college, mechanical engineer, and then, you know, you worked on a site, a plant for a while. Yeah. Do you, th- do you think that 
for, for one is a personal question. Would you say that, you know, you have the archetypal engineering mentality, you know, sort of like problem, solution, very logically orientated? And secondly, because I'm sure even if you fit that perfectly or don't fit that perfectly, you definitely would have met people in college that fit that. Like, yeah, you know, because yeah, yeah. I, st- I studied engineering as well, electrical, and you know, there's a lot of people, you know, just very like, okay, here's a problem, here's a solution. Okay, give me the maths, give me the numbers, done. Do you think that mentality or that profile of person has any advantages in sales or is it difficult to adapt? Um, it depends, right? Uh, I am not your typical engineer, right? But of course, when you're trained to think in a more logical, more structured way, that then, right? And that is a benefit, then you're able to bring it to any sort of process or any sort of, you know, uh, project that you're a part of. Uh, while I understand engineering, right? The other aspect of it is also whether you enjoy doing it or not, right? So while I studied engineering, I was aware of everything that was happening in the plant, right? Uh, not something that excited me a lot, right? So that's important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is the reason I, I wanted to move to something which is more dynamic, right? And it uh, was uh, more techno-commercial sort of selling uh, that was involved. Right. So, so sales with, the, with technical elements. So you still have to understand the product, understand yeah. what's going on. But yeah. ultimately, you're trying to sell it rather than build it. But keep in mind that this is more uh, me- mechanical or electrical technology that you're talking about. I eventually moved towards the, the IT uh, the information technology part eventually but yes it'll come to that and was that more of a quickly on that you know was that more just of that's where the industry was going as a whole there's more IT products to sell hence why there's more opportunities there uh, I came because the speed of selling and the speed of interaction was uh, relatively slow like I said the same cycle typically would be 4-5 years uh, yeah, you know crazy. and uh, that's a lot of weight. I wanted to move towards uh, e-commerce and e-commerce was up and coming at that point of time. Right. So mm-hmm. I thought there's a lot more to learn there. These are some of these are very traditional industries, right? Elevators, etc. I've been there in since nine, early nineteen hundred. Yeah. So uh, very, very traditional sort of industry and so is the culture. So I wanted to do something which is more dynamic, uh, a lot more everything used to learn and experiment. And uh, that's when I decided to move. Nice, nice. So the re- the logic behind asking the question about engineering mentality in sales, because you know a lot of our listeners are founders, some of them solo founders, like te- technical solo founders. And I was just made a post yesterday on LinkedIn about this because you know when you you got someone that can code or that can build a product, you know that's a very very different skill set to selling a product. Yeah. So. Or that kind of person who, you know, they, they're very technically astute, they're able to build something. And then it's about, okay, getting in the mentality now to sell it. Because a lot of times engineers have this thing of like, oh, not all the feature set is not complete. I can't sell yeah. it yet. It needs yeah. to be done. Whereas actually, you know, in, in entrepreneurship, startups, yeah, in sellings, it's, you're better off going to the customer, taking the consultative approach that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. So would you have any advice, any tips or any kind of insights for someone in that situation? So my advice would be that it doesn't work in the case where you have you think you have a product, but the market could maybe is not right for it, right? Or the market is not ready for it. Or it is not what is solving a customer's pain point, right? Uh, 
like you said, it's always better to go in a more, uh, you know, uh, stepwise manner, right? To build something, test it out, see if it works, doesn't work, uh, get some feedback from the customer, and then build on top of it, right? You can always build features and functionalities, right? But do your, uh, you know, your uh, proof of concept uh, first. Yeah. And as a founder, right? My uh, experience has been that you are the best salesperson itself, right? Do you understand uh, before any other sales guy that you will ever hire, right? What value your product adds, right? Yeah. Uh, if you come from a product sort of uh, uh, expertise, it helps you build exactly what the customer is asking for. But the first sort of, and again, your sales also evolve, right? Uh, selling your product to early adopters, maybe your four or five uh, people who you would have connected is very different from an enterprise sales or, or, or uh, even an SME sales, right? The skill set, the process, all these things sort of start changing. Right. Okay. So, so it's important that you, you are a part of your first sort of uh, sale that you make for your product so that yeah. you understand what the customers are asking for and whether you're on the right track or not. Yeah. And somebody I spoke to recently had mentioned as well, it's also very reassuring to people that you hire sales yeah. people that you hire because yeah. nobody wants to sell a product that has no proof that it can even be sold yeah as, as counterintuitive as it is right yeah and uh, just to add to that right uh in one of the companies that i worked with mm -hmm. uh the, the founder itself was not very good at selling and the best part was that the person knew about it right and then you get the right people uh, in the team very early on who can go and sell it to customer because at times what could also happen is the customer gives you some feedback and you just just press it saying that you know you don't know what you're talking about this is my product I know about it better yeah right now that's not which is going to help you build customers right and that's also not going to help you build your product further so you need somebody who understands the customer side well uh, great nothing like it if you can do it yourself or you should have somebody who can give you that echo chamber, you know, to 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 do your first round of testing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And to take that mentality and extrapolate to it, I would say it's it's perfectly summarized in the difference between a business person and an artist. Yeah. Are you are you know are you are you someone trying to create a product for the market or are you an artist trying to create something that you think is cool? Yeah, absolutely. You know, because it's it's all well and good having you know twenty five, fifty features. But if no one's going to use them, what's the point? Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned there that uh, you said as a founder. So have you ever had any experience as a founder yourself or purely uh, sales? I've been in sales except for the first three months uh, when I was, you know, posted at a plant. Yeah. Uh, but I've been part of companies where I was one of the, you know, first nice. few members, uh, you know, uh, first few, I mean, members of the founding team. I yeah. can say so. So, so I've I've seen the whole startup scene very close. Okay, so in those in those environments, you know, the smaller teams, uh, very fast moving environments. How would you go about building a relationship with a potential client? You know, from the early stages, and then creating that sort of consultative approach where you can get information about improving the product. Like, what's the best way to create that relationship? And then uh, let's let's start with that, and then we can kind of go through the pipeline by our conversation. Right. So it depends on the product or the problem that you're solving, 
right? The, the product that you're making or the, the problem that you're trying to solve, right? And depending on that, the use, uh, the, you know, the, the approach would be, right? Uh, for example, as part of a fintech which was trying to work with the HR community and build something which is uh, a financial, uh, you know, uh, financial literacy plus financial well-being tool for their employees, right? Now, in that case, the approach is, you know, you, you try to reach out to customers, uh, you, you know, the connect, etc. because then you're targeting large enterprises. You're not targeting very small uh, companies. So, uh, you try, you, you reach out to your network first. If you have people who you can trust or people who can trust you, you start from there, right? Because they're also, uh, they're also going to be people who are going to give you more blank feedback whether it mm -hmm. works or it doesn't work, right? Um, and there, from there, then you can build it up. In case you're building something which is uh, maybe for very small, uh, you know, uh, medium enterprises, small enterprises, small scale businesses, then you need to be in front of your customers, talk to them, figure out, and uh, you might want to do a few, you know, uh, activities, promotional activities to get them on board and take their feedback, and then take that approach. Once you have a few use cases, then you, you know, you, you can make case studies out of it and then reach out to potential buyers. But uh, it starts small. It started with a smaller geography, start with a small sort of team, and uh, set a very simple processes. Identify your, um, you know, customers. Make a list of uh, customers in that geography. Um, figure out what their, you know, immediate pain points are, which you are going to solve, and approach them uh, with a solution. Right. And you mentioned there like promotional activities, so sort of incentives to get, you know, work with the, uh, with the potential customers, right? To get information. Yeah, so what, yeah. what kind of what kind of promotional activities would those be? Like what the, what do those look like? Like at the very minimum, right, you can give your product for free for the early adopters, right? Or you can give them a, a more premium sort of a uh, product, right, where for certain features, uh, uh, and a, a, a premium product for free, which they can use uh, and give them feedback. And you can always, because I'm also not somebody who believes that you should give something valuable for free, right, because then you are diminishing the value of the product that you're building. Yeah. Uh, so you can put some timelines around it and do it or you can do your regular conventional marketing product activities they give them goodies get them on board and uh, then you know start from there okay yeah that's very much in line with uh, a guy i spoke to many years ago well actually it was earlier this year but i met him many years ago he founded a business in uh london and then ended up getting acquired just last year and, you know, he'd taken it to like series C, D stage. And I was asking him, you know, how did you get your first customers? And he said, look, the first main thing is just get that one customer who's somewhat known in the industry and yeah. tell them, look, if you can use this and it's actually useful, only if it's useful, then can we use your testimony with other yeah. people? And we will yeah. always give it to you at below 50% or 25% of the market rate, no matter how big we get, you'll always have it for this price. Absolutely. So he, he was talking about, you know, just having that sign off by the customer saying that, yeah, this was good. Just, just that, you know, that, that one quotable sentence that you see on yeah. websites, right? And you see a logo beside Coca-Cola, this, they said this, and it's like, most people will see that and think, okay, no need to do any more due diligence. Yeah. And also one thing that you need to keep in mind is you need to, uh, identify the right customer. For example, if there are 10 such names right in the list, 
uh, which you could possibly use for reference, right? You would want to target somebody who is more open to, you know, sort of experimenting uh, and, 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 you know, uh, exploring new products and you have a good connection. And there you can go and pitch. It's easier that way from a selling point of view. And is that, is that something to do with the type of customer in the sense of the industry they're in or where they operate? Or is it to do with the type of personality of the person in the company? Um, I think largely the latter because, uh, you know, there are always those people who want to be ahead of everyone else. They're more open to explore and experiment, right? Yeah. And uh, those people then become your early adopters. Even in my current role, right? Uh, if, if we come out with a new product, uh, we go to companies where we understand that the customer wants to stay ahead in the race, right? Mm-hmm. And for that, uh, they would not hesitate from experimenting on, you know, uh, feeling. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, yeah. I think that's one of the beautiful things about sales as well, because it's like, you know, you might meet on paper two people that are identical, right? So like, uh, I've, I've noticed this here in India itself, because tr- I've been trying to get, you know, venture capitalists from India to come on the podcast and speak. Yeah. And we're talking yeah. about, you know, partners, directors at bigger firms. So yeah. not, not exactly... You know they, they they have so much inbound from startups and stuff that it's it's harder to get get a hold of them right and yeah. you know sometimes you meet somebody who's like you know very stern very kind of like you know the linkedin picture is you know the tie three-piece suit like looking really serious yeah and you know they're partnered at one vc firm and then you go to another vc firm you know the guys there you know scruffy beard glasses t-shirt smiling and it's like yeah. Which one do you think would be more open in in its sense of profiling? Right, I could be wrong. Yeah. Of course, it could be wrong, but it's it's like the same person from the exact same industry, just a different company, could have an immensely different personality and open so many more doors. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So, one thing I guess then, when you're reaching out to these people and you're trying to create these relationships, you know, naturally there's a lot of rejection involved. There's a lot of yeah. you know people putting the phone down, no response to the emails. And I've heard a lot of talk about touch points. How many touch points should you have with the prospect before you kind of get into the conversation and they're like, okay, you know what? I'm going to give this person the time of day. So, you know, in your kind of playbook, how many touch points do you usually go for when you're trying to get warm up a lead and you're you know, trying to get in these conversations? And when do you call it quits? When do you kind of walk away from the situation and say, all right, you know what? I tried. It's not happening. I'll leave it there. So, okay, so before I get to the exact answer to this, right, and there is a question which is often asked, which is, you know, whether stains is a science or is it an art, right? And I, I believe it's a combination of the two, right? Now, a rejection is a rejection if you don't take away anything from it, right? But I believe uh, somebody who might not be a good fit for your product right now, or they don't see that need right now, right? you still have had a chance to leave an imprint on them, right? Yeah. If not now, in future, they can always come back and ask you for a solution. I still have people calling me which come, you know, from, from, from my roles, which I was a part of four years, five years back, because somewhere I had a conversation with them and they saved my number and they felt that, you know, I could add value to what they were doing, right? So that's one. Second part is, of course, uh, on a day-to-day basis, of course, you have to look at your numbers, right? Because uh, 
in today's world, it, the, the data doesn't lie, right? So uh, you have to figure out when you are a spammer versus a solution sort of provider, right? And uh, uh, if, if and and after two or three interactions, if I'm not getting a response, right, I, I generally ask the customer whether uh, it's it's the right time or not, right? Or if they're not, and they could have other priorities, right? Uh, uh, so I always ask them if this is not the right time, should I get back to them at a later stage, or yeah. I'll give them the option of you know calling it back. Yeah, because for most of the product today, the market is very, very large, right? It's not one customer. It's not going to make or break it, right? Yeah. And uh, you can always work on the other aspect that you said, which is having more number of touch points, right? And again, depends on the industry. Uh, for example, I was part of the logistics industry in India uh, before this, right? There, most of the people would come with very specific needs, right? Um, either they will teach you or they will teach someone else, but they will take something. Right, mm -hmm. that's very different from uh, other industries where uh, you're trying to create a need. Right, right. So then that approach sort of, sort of differs. Arguably, the latter is a lot harder, no? To of course, to create a demand. Yeah. Yeah. Because then you are, you you have a separate playbook for that, right? You are trying to see who would early adopters be, whether your product is the right fit or not. If yes, then what is the outcome? Can it be sort of? Uh, you know, if, if you can give, make it more tangible so that the same can be then used as a use case for other customers and, yeah. uh, you know, and then you get other customers. Yeah. Would you say that's a key difference between, you know, a startup trying to sell and an enterprise trying to sell? Yes. I guess there are other differences as well in terms of maybe the complexity of the sales and the sales cycle, uh, on the number of touch points that you would need, right? Or even from a you know a legal sort of perspective, uh, you know the requirements of the, the the engagement that you would need with your legal team, and right? that would yeah. be there. But largely, yes. Right, makes sense. And I guess also like the amount of decision makers you need to go through, right? You know, when you're yeah. when you're doing those bigger sales, they're much more complex. There's multiple departments involved with making the decision, so you need to have you know people in the finance department to sign off on the budget, people yeah. maybe in the operations department to say, yeah, this is really useful. The yeah. management team CEO to say, okay, yeah, signed off, all good. Yeah. So uh, very rightly said, you know, the product that I currently sell, right, you would meet somebody who is who's going to use your product, right? It could be, I work in the fashion retail industry right now, right? And there you need people who are merchandisers to sort of, you know, like your product, Ensure that you know, you know, you know, they need to be sure that it's a product that is very easy to use, makes their life easy, right? So they they are going to be a business user, and uh, at the same time, you would have somebody from the finance, the CFO, or somebody who would look at the ROI of using the product. The product can be great; it could be very useful, right? But if it doesn't justify the ROI of investing in that particular product, it's not going to say yes to it, yeah, right? Absolutely, and. Uh, then you need somebody from the, you know at the very top who would look at the product from a more strategic point of view, right, and see whether it is aligned with the direction that they want to take. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a really really important point you made. Like implicitly in what you said there, it's like think about what's important to the person you're speaking to. Yes, the company has a pain point. Yes, your problem might solve it. So this is kind of like the next step of that. You've got a, you've got a problem. You solve the problem. But when you're having an individual conversation, tailor it to the person 
that you're speaking to because the CEO cares about ROI. The strategic yep. department cares about where the company's going five, 10 years and what products they're using and how it co- combines to make the vision. And the end user is the one that you want to sell the features to and sell the benefits of, yeah, this is going to save you time. You don't have to you know, send this email and do that or you don't have, you know, whatever the product is doing, right? Right. I think that, that's, I, a, that's a really good point. Absolutely. Uh, you know, when I was part of the logistics industry, uh, you would be able to send it to your customer, let's say the, the head of logistics, right? And you get a sign up from the, from the CFO as well, right? But if the person is actually going to, you know, operate on the ground, mm-hmm. is not very happy, is not very uh, in favor of you, right? He's never going to adopt to it. Yeah. Right? And then all it creates is a lot of noise saying that this has not happened, that has not happened, this is not good, that report is not good. And sometimes those issues are really, really between them. Right? Yeah. Uh, it cannot be a success. Mm-hmm. So you need to ensure that you know all the stakeholders that you are sending to, right? you're not sending it to one particular individual. right? You're selling it to an enterprise with different sort of stakeholders are there. Well, startup is different. right? You talk to the, the co-founder, they like your product, they initially you know, ask the team to try it out. And the element of trying it out is very higher when you're working with startup, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You Because you want to demo it to them. You want to get their feedback and all that kind of stuff. Unless, of course, you have you know your value proposition, your go-to-market strategies there, and then you're just kind yeah. of you know rinsing and repeating the process. Yeah, yeah. So I'm talking about the first initial sort of, the first few things that you do. Yeah, getting the product market fit, right? Getting yeah, the product yeah. market fit at that point. So if we go to the next step, right? So you got now a product solving a problem hmm. and you are, you're at that stage, product market fit achieved. So at this point, what's the best way to create a solid sales funnel into the pipeline? You know, getting leads and then when you have the leads, cult- qualifying them, and getting them on demo calls and then kind of closing those calls. So how, how would you go about, say, if, you know, if I said to you, hey, Umesh, look, I've got a one, one and a half year project for you. Here's this startup. This is the product. Here's their three customers already. Pilots done, trials done, you know, a little bit of ARR already in the bag. Okay. Now we need your help to actually streamline and create a process around this so that they can scale it in the future. How would you go about that? So, um, how I would go about it is I look at the three companies which are already there who are working with us. First step would be to talk to them and ask them why they are using our product, right? Of course, you have sold it to them. You have your own reasons, but sometimes, you know, important to understand why they are using your product, right? Yeah. And that gives you a lot of insight. From here, I would take a two-pronged approach, right? One, you try to understand the, you know, the, the, the industry, the segment that these three companies are uh, in, right? And then try to acquire more customers in the same industry. And the other thing, and then you also look at industries which are similar to this, and then see if there is a you know, product market fit in those industries as well, right? Because, uh, for example, if I've already sold something to, let's say, fashion, uh, this thing, and where there's a certain seasonality, there's certain customer preference, etc. Uh, is that something that can be applicable for, let's say, furniture? Right. right. So, um, you know, what I would do is that if, let's say, the first three customers are with the fashion retailers, right, I would go out and target more first customer uh, from the same industry. It always helps to have 
strong testimonials, references uh, coming from your existing customer, and also create those uh, case studies, which then you can showcase to your potential buyer, right? Yeah, that is in the same industry. The other part is the expansion to other sort of industry and uh, trying to figure out you know the product market fit in those, right? So I would spend some time in that and figure out what what other industry uh, would be the right buyers for the product in the current state. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you got so you got all that. So you've done okay. So this is an interesting point. The first thing you do essentially is the research, the research yeah. into how we can expand it. So now you got those things. And it's like, in, the, in terms of day-to-day operations, what's the best way to kind of structure this entire process, right? Because there's a, there's a lot of things going on with sales. That's what I've learned personally in the last yeah. you know, couple of weeks is that you're, re- you're reaching out to dozens and dozens of people. All of them are at different stages. You know, some of them are like not interested. Some of them don't reply. Some of them are like, yeah, that's cool but they're not really interested. Some of them are like, oh, well, what, what about X, Y, and Z? Probably the ones that give you objections are the most likely ones to, to take forward because they're actually yeah. considering it. So yeah. how, do, how would you manage all these things? I know, of course, people use CRMs, right? CRMs is a very popular tool. Yeah. But like, how does one go about managing this psychologically and also then actually recording everything? Because I've also heard this, the last conversation I had was all about data-driven sales. Every interaction you have, make sure you record it. So yeah. if something works, you can see why it's working. Uh, that's a very valid point, right? And that's the way to go about this, right? Uh, if you don't capture your data, that's going to, no, it's not going to add any value to it. Like I initially said, if, even a rejection group, you go away taking something from that discussion, right? Yeah. So uh, what I typically prefer is a very, uh, you know, can just see, I mean, it need not be the, best one out there in the market, but something that your team will adapt to, right? Uh, and considering that we are talking about the early stages, something which can help you record your conversations, identify different uh, customers in different stages of sales cycle, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and do the basic sort of analysis on right? So one, it helps you on getting the insight and understanding where your funnel is leading, right? And, uh, you know, whether it's a product issue, whether it's a sales issue, whether it's a, you know some other issue that you should go and address, but it does help you to streamline those use cases, right? And the other thing is, then it also gives you a lot of sort of product feedback, which you can take back to your to your product team and tell them, yeah, this is what the customer is demanding. And the third aspect of it is, when you're building a sales team, you want everybody to be highly, highly efficient, at least in the early stages, right? You don't want some even a single sales buyer, if you have a sales team of five and if one doesn't perform, you cannot achieve more than 80% efficiency anyways, right? So uh, then what you need to do is to have a very strong hand, handle on, you know, what your sales team is doing and ensure that you are enabling and empowering them to achieve, uh, you know, what they are set out for. Okay. And that process, that's, that's the most interesting thing there, I think, because enabling and empowering. So what, what would that look like? You know, a small sales team, I, I understand one thing is probably having the tools, having the processes in place. Like, okay, look, have, have the call, then immediately you know, document the call here. Uh, yeah. if, if the call moves to a demo, move it forward in the thing. So then they have, you know, a strong grasp of where everything is and what they need to do. But yeah. like, could you give me an example of what, what an average day for one of these hires would look like? Like what you would describe to them? 
see the use case that we are considering is that early stage company right and there you do not have the advantage of having a separate sdr team and a uh, you know and negotiate a separate team for closing the deal and you know pre sales team all those things are not available right it's yeah. typically a couple of uh, folks who are doing the sales lead generation they are doing the you know the pre sales aspect they are getting the demos by themselves one these guys need to be very strong technical right uh, depending on what your product is right yeah. um and you know they uh, have to be uh, technologically very advanced right uh, there are a lot of tools available in the market nowadays which can help you you know be more productive yeah and of course crm does help uh, a typical need for any of these guys right would be to understand where they are right uh, set out at the beginning of the day you know what needs to be done and and that that's an activity i typically take uh, a, a very short a short medium and long term view right so at the end of the six months where what do i want to do right where i want to be for that what is it that i need uh, you know what what's the checkpoint or the milestone after a quarter right what is what does that mean if it, you know after a month right yeah and then bringing it to a granular level at a daily level right yeah. what is it yeah. that i need to do today uh, so that i'm the most productive version of myself and also review it every day right sales is a lot more about discipline right uh, doing something whatever works just follow that right be more iterating and whatever doesn't work then quickly uh, leave it from your plate yeah i can relate to that because you know it's something that it's because you're dealing with people and because you know you're kind of vested in the process of speaking to someone like whether it's uh, methodical or not it's like when you speak to somebody and they say no stop calling me this i don't want to buy this crap leave me alone you know it's going to you're going to it's going to hurt to a certain degree right yeah. so it's like bringing that autopilot process to what you're doing is like right sit down yeah. like for, for me it's been recently in reaching out to people to join the show right you know I might reach out to 30 people and four or five respond and that might happen in two days whereas there could be two weeks where nothing's happening and I'm kind of like oh what the heck's going on but it's like having that process sitting down having a little to-do list all right make n number of you know direct messages n number of emails n number of calls all right boom yeah. boom boom put it in and it choosing the number to be like an intelligent intelligent number i think it's like knowing your own limitations if i try and have if i say 20 calls in a day or 25 calls in a day and i know that usually i get burnt out by the eighth call or the ninth call well 25 is completely unreasonable yeah, yeah. and it's not going to you know help motivate you at the end of the day you would feel like nothing is working out and yeah uh if you have to kind of do it then it has to be more uh, something to look forward to exactly right? exactly yeah. what well, so what i like you know if that situation the advice to anyone listening to this would be like have uh segment your day in ways that you know will energize you yeah so how it's this example i just gave instead of 25 calls if i'm getting burnt out by 10 calls i would say do 3 then look back on the previous days calls or those calls introspect what went well what didn't modify the approach sort of intellectualize it if, yeah you know, because I, i personally enjoy doing that i, I like analyzing things so yeah, i would yeah. sit there analyze what's going on and i would get some you know satisfaction that ah that's interesting or yeah maybe i should try this update your approach do another three calls repeat the process do another three and then work on something else right 
also um adding to what you said right that's important to segment your day right uh if you can't if you have to be productive you know you know one thing that i very often use is the the uh urgent important metric right uh and typically what i've seen in my past experiences most of the time the urgent sort of thing right take away your time from important thing right mm. and then it leads to burnout right you end up saying that you know i did so much work today but you know nothing is going to help me yeah right yeah so it's important to segment the day right it's important to uh divide it in a way so that you know you can spend the first half in the customer for example is not available in uh you know uh in in doing call, you know writing emails etc right you can keep a part of the day when you think the customer is going to be most active right uh the, that time you can use for reaching out to the new leads uh you know then you also have to talk to your existing sort of customers or uh you know people who said they will come back to you right and keep that time for follow up right yeah and a very important like it's not urgent but very important is to maintain the sales uh, the, the CRM ID right yeah. yeah so let's not forget that one yeah, that's interesting because I spoke with a guy who was talking about this thing called the Mos- Moscow approach. Okay. Have you, have you heard of this? No. So it's, ba- it's basically this, uh, I mean, I, I only briefly looked at it, but what I understood, it's like, imagine you have a graph, just a, a chart. And, yeah. you know, the x-axis is the importance of a task and the y-axis is the urgency of the task. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. I exactly. think it's called the Eisenhower uh, metric. Right, okay. Uh, yeah, and uh, essentially what you're trying to do is to divide all the, you know, most of the people will have a tools. Right? And personally also, uh, at my home, I've seen that tools don't work. They only right. stress you out. Right? They do, yeah. It's important to block time. You know, something needs to be done, of course it needs to be done, right? But when do you want to do it? All of us are super busy, especially if you're in sales, right? You have to call up customers and when you call a customer, you say, you know, call me after five minutes. That itself is a task, right? So yeah. how do you then ensure that you are doing whatever needs to be done, right? And a to-do list only sort of stresses you out. Uh, this matrix also gives you a perspective on what needs to be done today, yeah. right? And what is it that you can either delegate or you can, you know, uh, keep it for tomorrow, yeah. right? Uh, and there, I think, for example, you know, 20% of my time I keep for anything which is important. Right? Yeah. irrespective of uh, you know how much urgent stuff do I have right uh, or if it means that you stay back and uh, finish off the important uh, uh, you know thing right? and then you do that right? mm-hmm. those things cannot wait but all the other uh, aspects then you can prioritize accordingly right uh, I there are various tools nowadays available right um, uh, and for example you know a simple tool as calendar is very very useful right? what's, it, what's it called the, the Google Calendar or any calendar that you use, right? Right. Yep. So yep. anything that you want to do, you put in my calendar saying that, you know, I need to call, right? So for example, there's a customer uh, that I'm chasing, right? And I need to do a demo for the complete team, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, it's connect after 17. So it goes on to my calendar, 17, check with this guy yeah. what, you know, the plan is going to look like. And if I don't mention it anywhere, either, you know, if I don't capture it by CRM or if I don't use it in calendar, then I'm going to surely mess it. Yeah, you right. Yeah. Now, sure. um, for early stage startups, right, uh, you might not have all the fancy CRMs, right? But calendar comes free. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's one of the most powerful tools. Yeah. 
absolutely. In fact, our our team calendar for the startup blueprint is, is filled with uh, random things. Some of some of them are mine. Some of them are my my co-founders. And uh, you know, for a while, he was even using it for his exercise routine. So I was like, yeah, of course. I was like, dude, just get a different email and you use use it for use that one. But this, I don't, I don't need to, I don't need to see how many uh, how many laps you you're gonna do today. <laughs> But I think, see, uh, it's not only from a professional point of view. Also, at the first level, I use calendar very extensively. You yeah. know, like a co-founder, and it it keeps you in you know in a more disciplined uh, uh, route. Yeah, it was, in fact, you're right, and it's just making me think now because this is probably the second or third conversation I've had where this has come up. Where you know how you manage your time is. Critical in sales, absolutely critical. Yeah. You know, it's, it's I've worked you know quite a bit as a software developer, and it's nowhere near as as talked about or emphasized, right? In in, yeah. in that in that world, you know, you have a ticketing system where you're going to work on one uh, ticket per day or in that week, and that's the main focus. You know, and this sort of agile methodology of like these are the yeah. things we're going to focus on this week that are tailored to this feature, whatever. But in sales, it's like the day to day management of how you spend your time. Like yeah. absolutely critical to success. And there's so many parallels with just general productivity or general time management of life, right? It's a very general skill. Yeah. But it's really, really, I'm seeing that's really critical in this industry because it's making me think it's so familiar to me because in college, you know, I used to have a couple of different projects I was working on at any given time, you know, I'd have my college at the time, you know, I was, I was doing a few things outside of college, you know, a few creative pursuits that kind of thing. And I wanted to make sure all three or four of those things were moving forward adjacently and not, nothing was going to fall behind. So I would just yeah. have a simple sticky note. And what I would do is I would choose the, now I'm realizing that the task that had the highest importance and the highest urgency for each of those things. And yeah. I ordered to do list based on that. So the ones that's most important and most urgent, I would have them first. Yeah. The, one, the one that's least urgent, but maybe it's important, I'd have it last. The one that yeah. takes the most time, I'd also try to keep it in the first half of the day. So I don't want to do that at night. So I'm going to be yeah. tired. So yeah. like, for example, if you need to work on a proposal for a demo and it's like a super important client, you don't want to do that at 6 p.m. Because yeah, of course. You want to take that as the first thing in the day, right? Absolutely. But it's like this, now I'm like, oh, wow. So I've been employing all these techniques that you would use day-to-day in sales in my own life but it's so interesting that there's that strong parallel. Yeah. So I think when you do with modern tools, which are available, right? You're more disciplined with that, right? Yeah. Of course, all of us use these, uh, you know, tools to very different things. But as a sales guy, right? You need to ensure that you, you're using them to the best of their uh, capabilities, right? Uh, one thing that I believe, you know, in sales, there's a lot of noise. Customers will call you, product will call your manager will call you, team members will call you. Everybody wants, you know, your time, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of noise which is generated, mm-hmm. right? Now, how do you then declutter all of that and work on what is important, right? That defines, uh, you know, in a productivity in general and more specifically to sales guys, right? The difference between a superstar sales guy and somebody who's not doing well, right, is this. Right, somebody who is a superstar, of course, you know, assuming that they have you know equally good selling skills, right? But how you manage a work, right, 
defines the superstar from the one who is not. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen guys who are doing something which is neither important nor urgent, right? Mm. But because they're able to close it, right? Uh, there's also that uh, element where the easier things to take off a thick list, right? Yeah. Uh, and you are just busy with that and that takes away all your time. And then eventually you feel burnt out because you've not achieved anything. Yeah. So to block some, you know, blocking time to achieve, you know, to, to address the important uh, and the urgent aspect, right? Super urgent, super important. Gives you a lot of free time. Also, it, it, it gives you more freedom to then experiment with the rest of the time that you have. So true. So yeah. true. And I think uh, has something I want, to, I want to mention there. It's just slipped my mind now. Um, yeah, it's like the compulsion of to-do lists as well. There's a, there's a compulsive element there because when you have this to-do list, like my, my last guest was telling me that sometimes you just add a thing to do just because you could tick it off. And you can feel like, oh, look at this. Like you might have, you know, 10 things on your to-do list. Only two of them are actually important. Eight yeah. of them are, are just some, some bullshit that you put there to, to, to get things done. And at the end of the day, you have eight things done. You feel like, yeah, look at me. I did 80% of this stuff today. But, yeah. you know, all you did was crap. You didn't do the yes, most of yeah, absolutely. them. And uh, look, I'm not a big fan of to-do lists. Yeah. Right? A lot of people use it. But I personally have seen that Unless you have an action plan, right? Then it need not be a very elaborate plan. It's just blocking some time on when you want to address a particular thing. Right? Yeah. You can cluster them, you can group them, but you should don't have them on your calendar if you don't know when you're going to do it, right? I've seen people who worry about, you know, let's say taking a vacation abroad, right? Yeah. It's there in the to-do list, right? And it stays in the to-do list and they're always stressed about it, right? Yeah. It's always... Good to have a plan, you know, and six months after do this, let me put it this way, and then you can, then your mind, you know, how we have programmed, right? You start automatically planning backwards, right? If I want to take a vacation like in December, then by when I should inform my team, what are the, you know, other aspects that I need to take care of, right? Yeah. From a money point of view, from lease point of view, from a family, other commitments that you have, professional person, right? Then you start planning in that direction. If it is there in the to-do list, doesn't work. At least doesn't work for me. Yeah, I guess what you're saying is that the to-do to list is too one-dimensional. What you want to do yeah. is have this to-do list, but, you know, because everyone's going to have things they need to do, but have it span across time in the sense of this one task, how can I break it down and create a process around, like a process list, all right? So for me to go on holiday, this is the process that I need to implement. For me yeah. to get this client, this is the process I need to implement, you know, right. for whatever any anything you anything you could possibly want in life there's a process to doing it and it's like back to what you said earlier it's like where do you want to be in six months okay right where do i need to be in the end of three months where do i need to be at the end of this month okay what do i need to do today to get there right i think one of the things that you know i've seen personally with people who are successful right uh and you know for content right is they know what can be done and what cannot be done Right now, I meet a lot of people who want to read books, who want to travel, who want to exercise, uh, who wants to have a social life, who wants to ensure that they are with friends and family, they want to pursue all their other sort of hobbies, right? But we all have just 24 hours, right? Then, yeah. then this sort of list, right? Or, and then putting things on a calendar or, you know, using any other tool, right? When you're able to visualize when you are going to do it, that sort of gives you a perspective. Yeah. If something is not coming there, that means it's neither important nor urgent. Right? Yeah. So, 
and you know make sure that life less stressful absolutely and i think it focuses your mind then when you have these things defined clearly it focuses your mind on what you should focus time on and right. also draws your attention for me I, i do use to do lists but more just i keep them really simple you know like maximum five things and they're all they're all like high priority things that i mention right, right but right. like you know if i'm sitting there and i'm uh i've got lost in something you know i've i've looked up something interesting online um and i'm just reading about it and i'm like oh this is so cool. like i like reading about history so i'll do that you know and get lost in it for 2 3 hours and then you come back and look at the list and it's like oh shit i haven't i haven't done x y and z right. and it, it it refocuses your mind whereas when you don't have that you're like ah you know what it's fine i'll do it tomorrow yeah. it's fine it's all good whereas the, the list is the list or just ha- having it defined forget it, forget about the list just having it defined somewhere it's like no but i need to do that to get to that place and right. I, i want to get to that place right so you, you it's like it's almost like somebody keeping you accountable yeah it's, yeah. it's, it's almost like you take a version of yourself you put it into words elsewhere and that version of yourself is like a an angel and a devil that's on your shoulder saying look you want to be there right you want to close the client get to work go do that yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. relax like a co-founder saying i need to do this and elapse today right yeah. so it's a constant reminder that you need to do something it's like somebody telling you right cuz we don't have yeah. that anymore people once you leave school once you leave college once you live by yourself you know no more teachers professors parents to tell you like yeah, yo do yeah. this do that so you, someone else has to keep you accountable yeah yeah absolutely oh it's poetic you know do, do everyone hates being told what to do when they're younger <laughs> and then they start they start telling themselves what to do in a, in a, in, a, in a reminder as they're older yeah yeah i think that's true for a lot more things as well oh absolutely absolutely but listen umesh uh i think we're coming close to the end of the episode I uh, really really enjoyed this I felt it was really nice you know exploratory conversation back and forth um I hope you did as well I did I did very very interesting talking to you and uh, um would love to you know share more of your podcast so uh, very recently I came across your podcast very very interesting people coming in from yep. probably all different walks of life so um you know there's something that I've added to my calendar now right awesome so, You know, uh, what I do is I listen to podcast and I go out for a run, right? And it's there on my calendar, six o'clock morning, go for a run or do workout, right? And that's when I listen to a lot of podcasts, right? And yours is the greatest addition to that. Oh, it's an honor. It's an honor to be on the calendar. (laughs) And you know, one one thing I noticed actually is because we spoke first, I think three, four weeks ago in May. And I had mentioned, uh, you know, would you like to come on podcast, et cetera. And you were like, hey, hey, Suraj, I'm a little bit busy. how about 12 to 16 week so i was like okay yeah. no problem and then you know i had forgot to put it to make a reminder but then you had messaged me just 3 weeks later like out of the blue and i was like how did, that's impressive how did he remember because i had forgot so I, i i bet that that was on the calendar as well i i put everything on the calendar any follow <laughs> any monthly budgeting anything every you know personal professional anything that we i want to do nice. i put it in the calendar it's a easy reminder that you need to do uh even if you know want to do something that even that was on sort of you, know, you have to yeah be, it has to be in the calendar makes a lot of sense to me yeah and it's it, it becomes something that just is a part of your day then right just open it as a this exercise right, right i was reading somewhere that you know uh, and i think it was more in context on all of these uh, successful launch and entrepreneurs right and they don't worry about what to wear right they I mean, we do a lot of decision yeah. making every day and i, I think 
then one of the you know, tech talks, I think, which is about decision making fatigue, mm. right? So how do you keep your mind free from all these things? You know, remembering when to do something, right? You have easy tools, put it there, forget about it. You know when it comes, right? All you need to be smart about is ensuring that you you put it right. You know, if, if something needs to be done with and needs a three day step time, right? Then you put three days uh, earlier. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it takes away a lot of those, uh, you know, repetitive sort of tasks away from you, and then you can focus more on what is the task at hand. You can give it, you know, hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. It's more. It's more than just prioritization, as you're kind of hinting at here. It's yeah. like it's like mental exportation. You're taking the yeah. the brain power required and putting it somewhere else, so then you don't have to use that anymore. Absolutely, yes. It's so true. There's there's a book that I read a while ago. It's by an author called Kelly McGonigal. Uh, okay. She, she. It's called the Willpower Instinct. Okay. Really good book. It's a bit old now. I mean, I read it back 2013, I think, but really good. And she was talking about this thing, like your brain being a muscle. So the more you push yourself to do certain things, the more tired you're going to get. Yeah. And, you know, having lists, having all, uh, she, she mentions a bunch of stuff. I, you know, I've forgotten now because it was about 10 years ago that I read it. But, you know, she talks about this stuff. One thing I do remember, because it was the first chapter, was that, you know, five minutes of meditation has been shown to increase your willpower instinct. So to be able to, so we're talking about, you know, having, uh, you know, wearing down of, of the mind, the, the mind wearing down to make less decisions. One easy kind of hack to have more energy to make decisions is just, you know, five minutes of meditation. Or yeah. as you, you mentioned earlier, like a run, working out, you know, just kind yeah. of. For me, run works. Yeah, runs are great, man. What do you do, you do like long distance, short distance? What, what's, your, what's your kind of uh, distances? So, uh, I have, I, I try to cover a certain distance in a month, right? And uh, I, I've seen that I've become more and more regular about it. So, yes. now then again, I break it down to a, at a weekly level. Uh, of, co- Monday, of course. Do, let's say, <laughs> of course. Uh, let's say have 5K on Monday, I do a 10K on, you know, uh, nice. Wednesday. And then I typically go to 15, 20K on a Saturday, right? You're, so, you're, you're based in Bangalore, right? That's correct. Dude, I'm not sure how you guys run in the in the Indian temperature. I know Bangalore is one of the best temperatures in India, but yeah. you know, because I was I'm based in Bangalore at the moment as well, right? Oh, and, which part? Uh, JP Nagar. Uh, we should get it for a coffee, man. Yeah, we, let's we let's do that. Indian person. Yeah, I, I'm uh, with, uh, JP Nagar as well. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Oh, listen, I well, I'll tell you what, I want to end the podcast episode now. We can chat. We can chat just offline. But uh, it was an absolute pleasure having you on the show. And uh, I'll see you soon. Same here. Thank you so much, Sarit.